Previously, on Cry in the Moon's Light, Seth defeated the pack, and Milady killed the Black Wolf. But Colonel Volker's obsession with ridding the world of night creatures ended tragically with the death of Seth. The villagers and people of the valley honored his death and buried him at the abandoned church. The carriage driver finally completed his mission to safely take Milady across the forest to be with her dying grandmother. But the Jabarni of the Travelers gave Milady one last mission, to free Seth's soul and give him peace. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story, and I'll also be your narrator. And now, the dramatic conclusion of A Cry in the Moon's Light. Chapter 15, Dreamcatcher. I took the last gulp and set my mug down. It was finished and I needed another. So I raised my finger to the barkeep. A young wide-eyed boy flipped a coin on the bar. The barkeep filled my mug without hesitation. Quite a crowd had formed around me. There must have been fifteen men and women hanging on my every word. I was half in the bag already and it wasn't even noon, but I could still weave a tale. The bar was silent when I was telling the story. I finally found a way to drink for free. It must have been the millionth time I could recite it in my sleep, if I could sleep. I liked this pub. They seemed to be a little more willing to accept what I was telling them, maybe because Port Calibre was a sea town. Fishermen have a habit of telling tales, it was also in the region of the story's setting. Much of the tale was probably something they already heard about to one degree or another. Except, I was a first-hand witness to all the events, if they believed me. There were all kinds huddled around me, too. There were fishermen wearing black hats and smoking their pipes, bar wenches and barflies swigging mugs of ale, some that looked like highwaymen along with some soldiers and sailors. Even a few folks that looked like they had some money from well-to-do places were hanging around. The more I spoke, the harder they listened. Each of them leaning in, staying quiet. When someone would talk or make noise, another would shush them. Nobody wanted to miss anything. Nothing was off limits. I could tell the entire story. They were loving all parts about the werewolf. The women in the group especially liked hearing of my lady and Seth. No matter where I told or what parts I embellished or left out, the ending always choked them up. And this crowd was no different. The women cried, and I think some of the men were trying to hide their tears by pretending to blow their noses. As I finished the last part of my tale, I waited for someone to buy me another round. An old-timer closest to me raised an eyebrow and pulled a cigar butt from his lips. He leaned in close as he spoke. Hogwash. 
pure hogwash, I say, as he began to laugh ridiculously. (laughs) An old woman behind him gave out a chuckle as she spoke. Very entertaining, though. I'll give you that very entertaining. I haven't heard one like that in years. She slapped the old guy in the back and let out a thunderous laugh of her own. (laughs) Werewolves, the Prince of Castle Parlamade being one of them. She shook her head. Very entertaining indeed. (laughs) They both finished laughing and took big gulps from their mugs. I looked around and saw many faces smiling, but nobody offering to buy me another round. It's always the problem with the end of the story. People buy you ale to tell a story. They continue to buy you drinks so you'll finish a story. But they only buy you drinks at the end of the story if they really like the story. I had thought they believed me, but I guess they didn't. At least, not all of them anyway. To them, I was just another drunk in a bar telling a tale that was entertaining enough to pass the time. Even the young boy that bought me the last round smirked and left. Out of money and with no more benefactors, I made my way to the door. The worst part was, I was only half in the bag. I was going to need a hell of a lot more than that to help me fall asleep. When I stepped out of the pub, it was a little cold. I pulled my jacket collar up around my neck. It was dark now, but the moon was full. Street lamps provided plenty of light to help me get back to the library. This moon reminded me of that same moon many months ago. Except it didn't give me the creeps anymore. Enough time had passed that I was no longer sad when I saw it either. I walked back to the library and went inside. Most of the horses were resting quietly. I would probably bed down in one of the empty stalls, but I wasn't ready to sleep right now. So I went out the back and stood next to the corral. Sometimes the farrier would let the horses out on a clear night. I liked to feed them and stroke their noses. I couldn't drive a team anymore. Nobody has any use for a drunk carriage driver. But it made me feel better to be around them. As I stood there petting a nice painted pony, a small frail voice spoke from behind. You told the tale well. Every word was true. Every word. Hearing her took my breath away. I knew exactly who it was. I turned, eyes wide with surprise and happiness. Out of the dark, next to the barn, a shadow emerged. As the figure walked in the moonlight, I could see it was a woman wearing a long cape. Two hands reached up and removed the hood. It was Milady. No longer wearing the red cape, this one was a dark green with a cream lining. She had a pleasant smile. Her eyes glimmered. There was a softness about her face. Although it had been a number of months since I had last seen her, she looked the same. I could still see the pain deep inside, but it was different. She was content now. Milady, I thought never to see you again, I said humbly. You heard? 
I paused. I I didn't see you in the pub. A wave of embarrassment came over me. I was a drunk now. No place to call my own and no real purpose in life. She reached out and put a hand on my shoulder as she spoke. They may not have believed it, but you and I both know the real story. She paused and with a serious voice said, I need one more favor of you. My eyes looked up and met hers. Without saying anything, I knew the favor she was asking. I shook my head in frustration. Nobody will hire me to drive a team anymore, my lady. I'm sorry, I said. Come with me. Parked in front of the barn was the most magnificent carriage I had ever seen. It was black, like our old one, but much larger. Four large lamps on each corner held candles that lit up the night. The black paint shined in their glow, and the wheels were white with black coating on the rims. The interior was lined with white crushed velvet. There were white curtains on the many windows all around. The carriage was harnessed to a six-horse team. Each horse was snow-white with a large mane and matching tail. They were standing proud and tall in their black harnesses. The lead horse looked over at me and neighed. I walked up to him, reached out and placed a hand on his snout. He reminded me of Arca. Of course, it wasn't Arca. But he was confident just like Arca. And the way he was standing tall, proud, also just like Arca. Turning to my lady. Is this your husband's carriage? No. I'm afraid I am no longer the Duchess of Harcourt, she said. I don't understand, I stated. The Duke of Harcourt and I have parted ways. I never returned to Normandy. My husband, then husband, and I agreed to dissolve our marriage, she said. I'm sorry, my lady. It's okay. Ours was a marriage of convenience. He wanted a young wife to establish himself with the crown. I had to take care of my grandmother. At first he was okay with it, but later he changed his mind, she said. Okay with it? I asked. My questions clearly made her uncomfortable, but I would need answers if I was to take her anywhere. She began stroking the lead horse's mane as she spoke. I cannot bear children. He knew this when we married, but when he was named governor of Normandy, his mind began to change. Eventually he wanted children to carry his last name, to have an heir. That last moment on the steps when you picked me up was our parting farewell. Did you never wonder why the trip was not a round trip? After my grandmother passed, I remained in her house, becoming the lady of that house, which is where I live now, in Trevor Doe. It's nothing fancy, quaint and humble, just like the house I grew up in. The Duke provided me with a generous endowment, 
I used some of that to purchase this carriage, including this team. I also spent a little on a new cape. Was that wrong? She finished. I guess she was no longer a duchess or even a lady. At least not as the title would imply in polite society. No matter. She was still my lady, to me. But now, an unnerving thought entered my mind. Where is it you want me to take you? I asked, a little afraid of the answer. She looked back at me with a slight smile. I need you to take me back. Back to where we both last saw him, at the beach. She walked over to the carriage door, looked over at me and waited. I let out a heavy sigh, picked my head up, pulled my coat straight, and gathered myself. I walked over reluctantly. My lady, before I take you back there, I need to know why you had to go back. We were nearly killed. Why are we going back? She lowered her head, looked back at me, then began to explain. What I could not tell Seth is what I need to tell him now. The day of my first attack, when William knocked me off the mare, I wasn't ducking chores just to go riding. I was riding out to find Seth, to tell him. Tell him what? I asked. The three of us were close when we were young, me, William, and Seth. As we got older, William started to show more signs of being cruel. He grew meaner, enjoyed killing and hurting others. At first I thought he was just being a bully, that he'd grow out of it, but later I knew it was more. It was his nature. We grew further apart, and as that happened, Seth and I grew closer. I was on my way to find Seth so I could tell him, so I could tell him I was with child. The child was Seth's. When William attacked, he not only sliced my neck, I was thrown from the mare. She was a big old girl, and when she reared at the attack, it threw me pretty far. I landed hard. The doctor tried, but I lost the baby. I never got a chance to tell Seth because I thought he had been killed. I didn't know the Black Wolf was William then. I was devastated. I lost them both that day. I couldn't tell anyone. When I found out Seth was alive on our journey, I was going to tell him. But as he told me all that had happened in that hidden room in the church, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Seth was bent on rescuing the townsfolk of Marcel. If I had told him, the resentment, rage, and revenge would have consumed him. I wanted to tell him after he returned, but everything happened so fast, there wasn't time. At the funeral, the Jabarni told me of their belief in the balance of life. She said that Seth's spirit is still out of balance. She asked me to return to the beach where his soul was separated from his body. That I needed to tell him everything, to give his life balance, 
so his death would have balance. This way his spirit could rest. She told me I had to return under the same moon when his curse was lifted by the silver bullet of the Hessian. She told me how to commune with him. The moon of this night is the same as that night. So I asked you once again, will you serve me? Serve him. One more time. I didn't know how to respond. I wasn't sure if I believed any of it. But this was no less fantastical than anything else I had seen on this entire journey. If there was any truth to this, I owed it to Seth. He saved my life more than once. It was the least I could do. I reached out and opened the door for her. She leaned in and pulled a hat from inside the carriage. It was a black tricorn, just like the one I had lost in the forest during our adventure. Only this one was much nicer. You should be in a proper uniform, she said as she handed me the hat. I took the hat and fixed it on my head. Yes, ma'am, I said as she stepped inside. After I shut the door, I climbed up into the driver's seat. This seat had a black leather cushion. Serious upgrade from the wooden seat of the other carriage. There was a shiny new brake handle, too, and the reins were high-quality black leather. Everything sparkled. I sat there for a moment, taking it all in. The horses began to shuffle as they waited for my command. The lead horse looked back at me, and I looked down the street at all the street lamps. They lined the way out of town, so I shook the reins. The team started out in a slow trot. As the wheels rolled, we picked up the pace as we left town. This carriage was the smoothest ride I had ever been on. We made it out of Port Calibre in short order. The road followed a southwest direction. It started to drift away from the sea going back toward the forest. When we entered the forest, we couldn't see the water anymore. The waves could still be heard, but the view was blocked by the trees. The road got rougher the further away we got. We pushed on for several hours, and as we rode through the area, I looked up at the night sky. There were a million stars peeking through the canopy. A nice breeze came off the water, giving off a little warmth as it worked its way through the trees. Sometimes I would have nightmares about being stuck in the forest. Images of those gruesome murders and horrific battles narrowly escaping with our lives. Yet here I was, taking her back through the land once again. It didn't take long for us to arrive at the beach where it all happened. The forest opened and we were out in a wide area next to the sea, the same beach where Seth was killed. The moon had moved its way through the sky and was positioning itself at the highest point. Its rays shined brightly over the entire beach. As we reached our destination, it seemed to get even brighter. I pulled the team to a stop and set the brake. Hopping down, I opened the carriage door for my lady. She reached out and took my hand as she stepped out. She was carrying a large satchel in her other hand. The Jabarni told me that if I came back here under the same moon, he used a sage candle and 
used a dream catcher infused with white magic. Seth would appear on the other plane. She looked over at me a little unsure of what she was saying. She lifted her dress as she made her way down the beach. She walked to the spot where Seth had died, standing in silence as she remembered that awful night. Then she walked a little further, down to the tidal pools. I stood by the horses and watched as she set the satchel on the ground. She bent down and pulled a candle out of the bag, placed it on some rocks and lit the wick. As it burned, I detected the faint odor of sage. After the candle was lit, she took a large dream catcher from the satchel. Standing with the dream catcher, she caught the moon's rays as it reached its final position in the sky. I saw that the strings weaved in the center of the dream catcher were in the shape of Seth's tattoos. The Jabarni had used her powers to infuse white magic. The air began to shift and the warm breeze turned cool. As the breeze moved through the Dreamcatcher, clouds began to move over the moon. The wind became stronger. Her cape began to flow behind her. I could feel something in the air now, something indescribable. After all the things I had seen, I thought nothing could shock me. But I was not prepared for what happened next. My lady turned slowly and looked down the beach past the Dreamcatcher. Not far off, she could see him. A large tan wolf trotting up the sandy shore toward her. The magnificent animal slowed his trot to a walk as he stepped onto the rocks. She reached up and slowly removed her hood. Her eyes sparkled in the moon's light. A warm smile came across her face. The wolf licked its lips as it moved past several tidal pools. He stopped just before reaching her, standing very close. She extended her hand, but he stepped back, as if he stood in another world, allowing her to see him, but not touch. This looked like the very first wolf we saw after I picked her up at her house, the wolf that we saw in the field, except... This wolf didn't have any tattoos or scars like Seth. But I could see this wolf's eyes, and they were the same blue as Seth's. She looked at the wolf and spoke. Tears were rolling down her face as she told him everything that had happened. Time seemed to stand still again, just like it did all those months ago when Seth was killed, and there was almost no sound. In a large tidal pool, just beyond the wolf and my lady, I could see a reflection in the water. That reflection should have shown the wolf and my lady. But it wasn't the wolf. It was Seth. He was dressed in a long blue coat with white lining and gold trim, a crimson ascot around his neck just inside a white shirt. He had gray pants and black knee boots. He looked as handsome as I remembered. He was standing there looking at her. There was kindness and love. He was not angry, but compassionate. He knew she carried the secret with her all her life. But now, she was unburdened. She had told the only person in the world that mattered. And their love could handle it. Together. When I took my eyes off the water to look back at the wolf, 
the image was gone. I looked back to my lady, and she was standing alone. Not only were the images in the tidal pool gone, but the wolf was gone too. She slowly pulled the hood up over her head. She put the dream catcher back in the satchel and made her way across the beach. She took one last look over the sand before she stepped onto the road. She walked back to the carriage quietly, never saying a word. I opened the door for her as she placed the satchel inside. She stopped for a moment as her eyes drifted up to the large full moon. She looked back at me. Her face was content. She was sad, but it was as if a burden had been lifted from her shoulders. The weight of carrying that secret was now gone. She turned to me. Here. He would have wanted you to have this. She handed me the dagger, made of dark silver. The one she used to kill the black wolf. We can go home now, she said. I closed the door, secured the latch, and climbed back atop the carriage. I took in a large breath as I looked up at the moon. Seth was at peace. The pain of this life was finally over for him. His balance was found on the beach all those months ago. The Jabarni wasn't helping Seth find peace. She was helping my lady. She was restoring the balance to my lady for all the suffering she had endured. Now, she could live her life in peace. Maybe someday, I would be able to tell this tale without ridicule. I might even be able to do it without any ale. People might even believe me. For now, it would have to be enough that I know it's true. As I grabbed the reins, I could hear a faint howl echoing through the darkened forest. This was Wolf Song. There was no intimidation or fear in its howl. It was a final cry in the moon's light. I'm your host, Alan McGill. Thank you for joining me as we come to the end of Season 1 of A Cry in the Moon's Light. Our season was filled with action, adventure, horror, suspense, and a splash of romance. And while we have solved the mystery of the wolf, learned the secret of silver, we now know it is only love that can defeat evil. But this isn't the end of our adventure not for Milady and our brave carriage driver. They will return. 
Original music for the show was composed and produced by Joseph McDade. If you enjoy the music, you can purchase the soundtrack to our show on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and most streaming services. Just search for a Cry in the Moon's Light soundtrack, or you can find it by searching for Joseph McDade. The album contains a bonus track of a poem that I wrote about the story, not featured on the show. I want to thank all of our Creative Spotlights for their support, and especially all of our listeners in nearly 40 countries around the world. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please look for more of A Cry in the Moon's Light. As I sign off, I leave you with the rest of the Enhanced Guitar Overture to the ending theme of A Cry in the Moon's Light by Joseph McDade. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.